Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Fayer and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we're both very excited to be talking to you about the, not even a neo-noir, but just straight up noir, right? More modern mm -hmm. than the old black and white true noir, but uh, L.A. Confidential, baby. They were three cops who had nothing in common. Freeze! Big B, what are you doing here? Hey, you know, man, keeping the streets safe, boys. One would do anything to get ahead. You're truly prepared to be despised within a department? Yes, sir, I am. One had his own brand of justice. How's it gonna look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. And one loved the spotlight. What exactly do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, college boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. These people are all in the morgue. And someone has to pay for it. There's something wrong with the night owl. I just can't prove it. They thought they had it all figured out. Anything bothering you about the Night Owl case? The fact that you guys won't let it get filed away. I didn't kill nobody! But what started as a murder... You talk only to me on this one. ...became a mystery that could cost them everything. Why was Susan Lefferts at the Night Owl? I don't know. I never heard of the Night Owl till today. How about some payback big time? We need evidence. I'll get the evidence. It was an information exchange. Do you have any proof? The proof had his throat slit. What do you want, actually? I just want to solve this thing. Even if it means paying the consequences? Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito. L.A. Confidential. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. So it is a 1997 film, and it was directed by Curtis Hansen. And the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes is three policemen, each with his own motives and obsessions, tackle the corruption surrounding an unsolved murder at a downtown Los Angeles coffee shop in the early 1950s. Detective Lieutenant Exley, Guy Pierce, the son of a murder detective, is out to avenge his father's killing. The ex-partner of Officer White, Russell Crowe, implicated in a, Randall, in a scandal, a Randall, a scandal rooted out by Exley was one of the victims. Sergeant Vincennes, Kevin Spacey, feeds classified information to a tabloid magnet, Danny DeVito. And so it also stars Kim Basinger, James Cromwell, uh, and uh, like we said, uh, Guy Pearce, Russell, Russell Crowe, Kevin Spacey. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. So what did you think? It's terrific. I mean, I don't think you have to dig very deep to find the acclaim for this film, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I realized I had seen it before, um, but probably not since it came out. Um, and I had forgotten. Well, as soon as I saw James Cromwell, it sort of came back to me. I was like, oh, right. Okay, this movie. I have seen this, yes. 
Um, I mean, they're young, you know, Guy Pierce, and uh, I don't know precisely where in their career this was, but pretty early before they were the major A-listers they are today, certainly. Um, and then Kevin Spacey, of course, has had a fall from grace because of his uh, unsavory or I guess not criminal. He was acquitted, right? Or I don't mm -hmm. Anyway, certainly behavior. But um, I mean, not certainly not to condone anything that he's accused of, but he is pretty good on screen. You know, he does a yeah. good job in this movie playing that character. And Danny DeVito is pretty much Danny DeVito, always solid. Yeah. Um, Kim Basinger's great. I don't I don't know that I love her and everything I've seen her in, but I think she really sticks the landing here. Mm -hmm. The only criticism I would have of the film, just to cut right to negativity, <laughs> um, is that there you know, there's a sort of a love triangle. First of all, we spoil these movies for those of you who've never listened to us before. So if you don't want to hear what happens in LA Confidential, then <laughs> that came go out watch it and come back, right? Three decades ago. But there's a love triangle that develops between Guy Pierce and Kim Basinger and uh um Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. And I didn't feel any of the chemistry in any of it. Like there's a, some love scenes that I mean it, it's well shot or whatever it 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 tells the story of the film but i don't feel any chemistry and that was the only real weak spot in this for me i was like that and it got so dense that it got a little bit confusing with all the names i mean you know the broad strokes you you find out who the bad guy is and what the plan is but the machinations of all the various little threads of this happened to this guy and then he went it's him and then the other guy shot him and that's why they got him and you're just kind of like Okay. I mean, whatever. I don't, I didn't catch that, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. It didn't ruin the movie for me. What did you think? So this was a first time watch for me. I had not seen it. It was one that I just never got around to. in in the late nineties, um, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. It was different than what I was expecting. I knew that this was a, uh, a best picture nominee. So the other best, uh, pictures. So Titanic won that year. But Goodwill Hunting, as good as it gets, the full Monty, I think those were all of them. Those were those were the nominees. And I I guess I thought this was going to be more along the lines of of a Scorsese movie, whereas this is very it's much pulpier than I expected it to be. Um, so it's very, you know, you you have these A-list actors in it, but it's very much a nineties kind of popcorn thriller you know it's not that uh again it's it's not a, a scorsese movie or, or something along those lines no um, but i mean it is la in the 50s and it is that it's, it's the los angeles police department which is riddled with cronyism corruption yeah racism um, and I think that's all on display here. It doesn't soft pedal any of that stuff. There are no. brutal shootings and murders and, you know, a hard boiled attitude about the whole thing from everybody in the department. Right. Yeah. It's just not, a, there's definitely a dark edge to it, but it still feels very nineties thriller. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Um, I do. So, and, and I liked that. Uh, well, it I works because it's set. Nineties thrillers. There's a Hollywood element to this. 
and it's seedy, but there is very much an awareness of where the Los Angeles Police Department and Hollywood and Star and the movie industry. So that's very much woven into it. But you're right about the 90s thrillers. They had a real gloss, a high gloss to them that I think actually really slick movie. Yeah. And I think I think I remember the first time I saw this, maybe that bothered me a little bit. Like I wanted something a little grainier, a little grittier. But looking mm-hmm. back on it now in 2023, it, it it bothered me not at all. I thought it worked for the 50s. I don't remember 1950 what it's supposed to be set, but 55 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it worked really well for me, too. It's definitely not a criticism for me. Uh and I think where it kind of rises above the standard kind of 90s thriller is, and what makes it fun, is the the characters are a little more complex than than the standard thriller that you would see where, you know, they're not black hats and white hats and you you know, kind of you, maybe the ones that you think are the good guys in the beginning, maybe aren't so much. And the ones that seem like they're really bad in the beginning turn out to be, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Like you said, uh, Kim Basinger, I, I, I had, I've always kind of had the same criticisms of her that I, I don't necessarily always think that she's a great actor, but she won an Oscar for this for best, best supporting actor. Or best supporting actress. Um, and like you said, she's good. All of the performances are good. The one nitpicky uh, criticism that I would have of one performance is James Cromwell is Irish, I guess. And his Irish accent comes and goes. At times, yeah. is he sounds very Irish. And at times, he sounds not Irish at all. He sounds a which, little Lucky which... Charms Irish. He, the, the entirety of his quote-unquote Irish accent seems to be doing a little bit of a tonal lift at the end of his sentence. Yeah. Like, is, they, yeah. is that what, is that how you're going to go about it, Boyo? <laughs> yeah. And it just sort yeah. of, it, it, it scenes in which he does that, like on every line, I found it very distracting. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like he was, the, and he's a good actor, you know I mean? He's, yeah, but you don't need to put an accent career. on James Cromwell for him to read his Irish. Like he just yeah. looks, if you're like, Oh, and this is the old Irish cop. You'd be like, Okay, next. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to literally be from Ireland. Right. You know, well, you boys you know. are poking around where you don't belong over here. He calls Guy Pierce lad all the time. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, but but yeah, that was a uh, that was the the kind of the weakest link for me as far as acting performances. But but everybody else is great in this. And like you said, um, I love Danny DeVito and everything. So it, it's fun to and you know you don't you don't typically see Danny DeVito as, as sort of a villain. Um, but he's a charming, you know, he's not exactly a villain, but he's charming. He's just a scumwad, yeah, which I think yeah. he does really well. He, he does. He, he does. Really sometimes well. he's a scumwad with a heart of gold, but yeah. other times he's just a scumwad. He's done he's a likeable. lot of those. Yeah. yeah. He's done a lot of those throughout his career. I also felt it was a bit of, trying to separate the artist from the art with, with Kevin Spacey, knowing all the stuff that we know now about him was, was, I mean, you know, he was definitely uh, one of the best actors in the nineties, but he, he, uh, it, it just really, 
I, I really had a hard time separating his his character from who he really is, you know. Yeah. And he, you know, he starts out very sleazy and very smarmy, and then kind of as it goes along, he's not as again that sort of. There's a lot of gray area with him, you know. There's a couple of different characters um, that we see that with the Russell Crowe character too, because uh, Cromwell's character is having him do some muscle work, basically beat up guys mm-hmm. in rooms to get a confession out of him. And uh, Russell Crowe initially has no problem with that. But we see as the movie goes that he sours, you know, that sort of starts to curdle his milk and he just doesn't feel right about it at a certain point kevin spacey same way (laughs) gets to a point where something just doesn't smell right to him and his instincts to kind of play it safe and stay out of the line of fire and you know keep lining his pocket just starts to you see there's a nice moment where you see that character make a decision to be like Mm -hmm. well i'm gonna do it you know and he and he heads down the right path um to help crack this corruption case and it gets him killed sorry spoiler alert <laughs> yeah some people die in this russell that's Crow a nice scene a... though i like that scene yeah yeah um russell crowe starts out very much the very first scene that we see of him is a, a shows up at, at a domestic violence situation and you know and he goes and beats up this guy and he, you know, the the first scenes that we have of him is he's like this Boy Scout, basically. And then you you find out some darkness about him and you find out the reason why he that his uh, hmm. his father had beaten his mother to death in front of him. He's a um, Boy Scout, a very violent Boy Scout. He's a violent he's a Boy, Boy Scout. Scout with, yeah. With a very violent streak. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so. uh but yeah, I think all of that is 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 uh, you have some well drawn characters in this that that you wouldn't have in the typical kind of thriller popcorn thriller movie. No, this is is this based on a book? It's based on yeah, I think it's an Elmore Leonard. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's an Elmore Leonard novel, so and I, I actually read. Going to be good. Um, I read somewhere that they um, that this book had. I'm going to look here for a second. So you talk for a minute. Um. Mm, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking now. Um, <laughs> I think it's Elmore Leonard. Let me. Uh... Yeah, I thought the the look and feel of it was very satisfying. I yeah. Think. Oh, no, I'm sorry. James Elroy James wrote it. Elroy. I was close. Uh, uh, but they I read somewhere that they said the 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 novel was thought to be unfilmable. Um, so I don't know what things they you know they had to change for this or, or, or what they had to go through to to adapt yeah. this but well it works as a film like i say if anything it gets a little too twisty turny but not so much that you lose the primary thread of what's happening like you it's clear who the bad guy is and it becomes clear why the bad guy is doing what he's doing and what the stakes are and that so, makes me feel better because I felt the same way. And but I I always feel like these kind of movies that they, it's always like one or two you know names too many or whatever, and I yeah I, I can get lost pretty easily. Yeah, and by the time you're really coming down to the reveal, there's like 
seven guys' names. There's like Stan Spoolward and Stubby McElroy. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's why Stubbs killed Stenny because of, uh, you know, Jonas's persistence about the. And she's like, okay, I don't remember who any of those guys are, you know, but um, at the end, once you find out who the kingpin is, that's clear. You know, it's like, oh, okay, he's trying to take over the drug trade, and that's why all these guys are dead. <laughs> yeah. And you follow the main thing. I mean, a, a couple of times they explain or aid it a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's why her mother didn't, re- you know, couldn't ID the body because she'd had plastic surgery. So, again, it's not a huge criticism. I don't mind that I got lost in the minutia of a noir thing. I, I don't want to, I didn't want to. It's still a popcorn movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not cars turning into robots, but it's still an entertainment. And I do I do miss those kind of thrillers. Those and and I, I miss the legal courtroom, the procedurals. Um this doesn't end up in the courtroom, but we do see some, you know, they're in the police station a lot and we see some interviews and you know, so this is um this is a good old fashioned cop noir thriller and i realized man i I miss this stuff i do too yeah i watched a uh, movie this week that i had never heard of before um and bear with me for just a moment while i get the the title of this that i saw somebody talked about and it's not a good movie um but it has it stars Debbie Harry, and she's very much the weak link in the film. Hmm. Um, which I mean, she's not, you know, she's a singer, not really an actor. But uh, this movie is it's from 1990 or 91, and it is called. She was in Copland, which I did not know. I've never seen that one. Yeah. Um, that's uh, it's Stallone, right? Stallone, yeah, that's the one where Stallone gained like forty pounds. And um, anyway, this movie is called Intimate Stranger, and it's she's a, a like a phone sex operator, and a guy calls her who turns out to be a serial killer, and he's killing these women. And it, it's a very cheesy movie, but um, I watched it on Tubi, and uh, Tubi has an autoplay thing where it you know plays a movie and it just plays something else that's like that. And it brought up one um, with Jeff Fahey called The Sketch Artist. And it's it's Jeff Fahey, who is, who's a police sketch artist. And he is, uh, you know, there's a murder. There's a, it's like a serial killer thing. And, you know, he's got a, he's the guy who's going to figure it out or whatever. And it's really, really entertaining. A movie I had not heard of before. And they made a sequel. I don't know if they were directed video or what, The, the Sketch Artist 2 that has Courtney Cox in it as a blind woman. And she's actually really good. In the she movie. is also a sketch artist. She's also a sketch artist. No, she's, she's a the blind only witness. She she's described the, what he sounded like. And so the guy makes a sketch based off of her description of his voice. You're close. She, she touches people's faces and she can like tell what they look like based on their. Yeah. But uh, um, the first one was very good. The second one was And it turns out everybody. she's a ghost. She's a ghost. Yeah. Um, but anyway, goes, yeah, well, it just got how me. Did you get away? And she goes, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but it just got me thinking how much I like, even the corny ones. I like those sure. 90 thriller. Kind of movies, well, my yeah. question to you was, why do you do it? <laughs> why do you, why do you sit there on Tubi and just dial up whatever? I mean, are well, you, so this, it, 
Is it like you're panning for gold and you're hoping you're going to no, stumble no. across something great? Or so this intimate stranger, I saw it on on Twitter, and I knew it was going to be bad, and it's bad. Um, and then right. I fell asleep. I fell asleep, and Tubi just has you know. I I finished the movie, but after it was done, like a few minutes later, I fell asleep, and then I woke up a little bit later, and just this movie was just playing that had auto played, and I I went with it and watched the rest of it. So. Yeah. Nice. Tubi has a lot of, but it was amazing because it was like this intimate stranger movie I'd never even heard of before. And like, it's a great print. Like it looks really good for this very much B movie. So anyway. Good. Good for you and good for them. And (laughs) good for Debbie Harry. Good for Debbie Harry. Well, I don't know if it was good for Debbie Harry because she was really bad, but. I thought we would have, I, I thought there would be more like burning things to talk about with this movie but i don't know do you have burning things i don't really i I don't (laughs) nothing of mine is burning at the moment um yeah i i don't even know that right like after the wrestler i feel like i we could have talked about that for another hour probably um i thought this was just really well done and well performed and I haven't read the original source material, but it seemed like a good adaption for the screen. I love that it was full of people. I mean, Kevin Spacey was certainly working. I don't know that he was as big as he became after. I mean, American Beauty would have been after this. American right? Beauty was 99, I want to say. So, yeah, that was so that was when he really. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I, this is, you know, it's this is not the fault of the movie, but. Um, this just didn't feel that much like an Academy Award, like a best picture type movie to me. And I know not every year you're going to have a Schindler's List or whatever, but, you know, we talked about with The Wrestler, that really feels like a best picture kind of a movie, even though it didn't win best picture. Um, Was it nominated? I don't know if it was or not. I I think uh, Mickey Rourke was nominated, but I don't know if it was nominated for best picture. But I believe... uh, uh, American Beauty did win Best Picture, which that's more of like an Academy Award type of a, of a film, I think. But this was just taking a genre, you know, a kind of a well-worn genre and doing it very well. With LA Confidential, I felt. Yeah. Again, I really enjoyed it, so I'm not knocking it, but it just didn't feel like a, even though it didn't win Best Picture, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel it feels very complete. It feels like the universe is very well realized. It's well shot. Um, yeah, there's nothing about it that's. It doesn't shy away. Like all. it's just a really well made film uh, for what it is. But you're right. The subject matter, I think we've come to associate with like the piano or you know these sort of big right. sweeping dramas. And of course, you're not going to have one of those every year, you know. And this is a drama. I mean, but it's a thriller. Um, yeah, you don't usually think of a thriller making it to the top tier like that. So this director, Curtis Hansen, is certainly not somebody that you would say like, oh, I'm a huge Curtis Hansen fan. But he directed uh, Never Cry Wolf. Um. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The River Wild, Wonder Boys, Eight Mile, Adaptation. 
So he's directed some yeah, really good films. Yeah, it's funny. I I don't think I've ever heard of him, which is Mm-mm, no, I don't think I had either. A little. So he just seems like that. sort of a journeyman director, you know, who's directed some like adaptation is very different from the hand that rocks the cradle. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. right. uh, adaptation's great. We ought to do yeah. adaptation. That would be fun. He directed Bad Influence, which is a um. Oh, that is with that's Rob Lowe and James Spader. So, you know, that's a pretty probably kind of cheesy James 90s thriller. James Spader. I do love me some James Spader. I do too. He did um, a lot of cheesy 90s thrillers, a bunch of them. What, uh, I mean, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? I, I like it. I recommend it. Yeah. LA Confidential, baby. Check it out. Yeah. I mean, this is, I imagine, and this is a, a movie that people know. I would you think know, it was so. A big, it was a big hit at the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, if you like these kind of police thriller films, noir, like you said, it's not really a neo-noir because it takes place during that time. But uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, I think I of uh, I think of classic noir as being the '40s because of right. the Maltese Falcon and the you know, or the '30s even. But um, this is very much noir set in the '50s, um, mm-hmm. and even though it's made in the '90s, it's um, you know supposed to take place in the '50s, and I think they do a good job of that. Um, those older noir films, you know, 40s and 50s, you know, I guess probably they were even in the 30s. That's a real blind spot for me because, you know, kind of earlier than 60s films, I just, you know, they're so different than what we're used to watching that I right. I, I have, uh, I know it's a blind spot for me, but I love modern versions of noir yeah. films, you know, 70s and, and beyond. There's some, you know, like Chinatown. Yeah. Um, If you want, and I'm not proposing this for next time per se, but we can delve into some of the very greatest classic. Oh, yeah. Original noir, because I think what you'll find. Yes. I mean, the pacing is what the pacing is. Movies Mm -hmm. and audiences just had a different expectation in terms of how quickly stuff moved. Life itself moved more slowly, even you know, a hundred years ago, even 80 years ago. That being said, um, some of the cinematography is fantastic, right? And you think, oh, I don't really sit through a black and white film. Trust me, some of it and is I, really great. And the performances on some of them are just timeless. Like you just, right. it's just electrifying. You go, oh my God, the scene, a lot of times the scene between the leading man and the leading woman just throws sparks and you go wow that is i can see why audiences love this you know so and i have nothing i love black and white i mean i have nothing against you know and i i like newer you know black and white films too i think it's the what i've always had a bit and i like hitchcock you know um but i i think it's the you know, it was probably somewhere along the line of the late 60s where you got into much more naturalistic acting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I always have a little bit 
of a hard time with, you know, and the continental, whatever it's, is it the continental accent? Is that what it's called? You know, where they, sort of everybody like, sounds vaguely British, you know, mid Atlantic. Yeah. Mid Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would, uh, that would be fun. I would, I would be down for that. Let's, uh, let's cause I know it's a big blind spot for me. You know, let's put that in the back of our minds and we can sure. wade in at the very easy level. I don't, I'm sure. s- sounding like I am some aficionado. I'm not, but I, 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 there is a place around here that's going to start doing uh, like a classic film evening, whether it's once a month or once a week or whatever. And I want to talk with them about helping curate that. Yeah, and, that'd be uh, fun. I think there's some really low hanging fruit of stuff that's like, well, <laughs> that's just a that's an incredible movie. And so mm-hmm. we could start with some of those all time greatest hits. And yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, I would love that. Not that we've worked all the way through all the 80s, you know, but I'm less interested in movies from the 60s and... Me too, yeah. Sort of more interested in movies from the 70s, but it's really the 80s and 90s when, when I feel like we were watching movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we can go back. We can go back sure. a little ways. Yeah. Um, sure. Do you have any sense of what you want to do for next time? I don't. Um, I mean, we talked about the whale. I don't know if that's too much Aronofsky. I mean, I would want to see it, uh, but maybe, maybe let's hold off for a let's little while. Let's think about it. Maybe we could do something fun. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, have you watched anything else lately? I know you're you're still watching Ahsoka, right? Which I've never, I still never have gone back and done. Uh, I'm I'm still. On episode three. Yeah, it finally got its hooks in me. And I think that what happened, without spoiling that, um, Ahsoka, as she's very grumpy <laughs> in the first mm-hmm. couple, two, three episodes. And then it, we sort of, we sort of, well, she's very angry. Um, and the way Rida- uh, Rosario Dawson is playing that is very kind of locked down. Mm-hmm. And it's not super engaging. It wasn't super engaging for me on screen. Um, but then there's an episode in which she deals with that and comes after that. She's more forward and upfront, and she's got a sort of a new mission and why she's doing this. And it's not just about this, you know, rage that she's got simmering and uh the whole thing kind of came alive for me after that so i don't remember what episode if that's the most recent one or if that's the third one but it's from that point on i was like oh this is i I like this much more (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my understanding like there's a young ahsoka in one of the episodes is that right yeah yeah and they bring uh anakin back yep yeah i'm I'm, not uh... exactly a flashback but it's and, you know, we've talked about that, how, uh, you know, how bad Lucas was with dealing with actors where everybody thought Hayden Christensen was just a bad actor and, and he's really not. We you know? know he's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think part of him wanting to do all of this peripheral stuff is to kind of prove. I think he caught a lot of shade. I'm sure. Yeah. For those movies. And he's like, I mean, I give me a chance. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I can play that stuff. 
I really, one of my beefs about those prequels was it almost felt like Lucas was like, how do you get a flat performance out of Liam Neeson? Right. Yeah. After, I mean, he was just a few years removed from a best, you know, winning left, best actor left to his own devices. That guy's going to chew the furniture. And if anything, you just have to dial him in a little bit, you know, but it was almost like they take 35 and, and Lucas was like less, you know, I want to, I don't want to hear any of that. You're a Jedi. I don't want to hear any emotion in your voice. You're an absolute stoic, you know, and all of these people are trying to act through that wall of like Lucas being like smaller, less. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, come on, man. <laughs> Let him out. I saw, I saw a great Harrison Ford clip the other day and he said, uh, I don't know if you'd seen this one before, but I, I had not seen this, this one. And he said, um, the first day with the original star Wars where they were on the set of where they're in the millennium Falcon. And he said, he says to George Lucas, he's like, so how do I fly it? And he, and Lucas was like, what do you mean? And he was like, how do, how does it work? How do I fly it? Because you just, you just fly it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Harrison Ford is wanting him to tell him like how the controls work and everything. And he's like, I don't know. You just fly. And it's like, that's, you know, he's basically like, that's the direction that I got. you know. So, yeah, I saw something with George Lucas where uh, John Stewart is asking him um, for more information about Obi-Wan Kenobi and like where he comes from. And, um, <laughs> He makes up. He's like, oh, he's from the planet Stu John. I'm just like, <laughs> John Stewart is just looking at him. You're like, how many billions of dollars have you made off this franchise? Like, don't treat the fans like we're garbage. You know, it's okay if you don't have an answer for everything. But certainly earlier on, Lucas would could like, you know, he could dial in. If he was just making it all up as he went, okay. But don't act like but it's every... a jerk off now. He's like, now that you've sold it to Disney yeah. or whatever, it's all just a big joke to you. It's like, I'll every kill back... you. I'll kill you, man. Every background character had a name, you know, and everything right. you know, back then. And, but clearly not uh, in the prequels. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really bugged me about the prequels was how generic a lot of it felt. Um, mm -hmm. There was a bounty hunter that was just bounty hunter and was doing stupid things and then they went to a diner to talk to a guy and it was a space diner it was like a greek chrome diner on coruscant you're like and the guy had six arms or four arms or whatever but he was wearing like a stained tank top t-shirt and you're just what is happening yeah <laughs> you know it's sad that you know, we've talked about this a lot, but you could have taken, you know, his general ideas and and if they had done what was done with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, where he turned it over to somebody else, you know, a really good director, um, not that he couldn't direct. I mean, he directed American Graffiti and the first Star Wars, you know, um, but had he turned those over to somebody else and just, you know, he had sort of his blueprint and they had ever somebody else to, uh, cause you just look at the emotion in the empire strikes back and then compare that to the prequels. And it's just night and day difference. You know, James Mangold could have done a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. He could have, he could have, um, 
one that I was, I think I've brought this one up before. Um, I don't know if this is a, another uh, noir, but with a very different kind of tone than, than this one that we, we just did. But um, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Inherent Vice, have you ever seen that one before? Um, I have not. That would, I don't know if you'd be interested in doing something along those lines, uh, you know, this soon after this one, but it's, it's funny. Um, it's, it's, the tone is kind of strange, but I think that'd be a really fun movie to talk about. Okay. I don't know how you feel about Paul Thomas Anderson, but, um, um, yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, That's, uh, you know, starring Joaquin Phoenix and he's, um, you know. I remember all the everything. buzz about it. I just didn't see yeah. it. It's a really interesting film. I, th- I think it would be a, f- a fun discussion. All right. So um, next time we're going to do Inherent Vice. Yeah. I love it. So anything else you've seen but besides Ahsoka? Or? Um, I've just been watching The Crown. I'm on season two of The oh, Crown, okay. and it's really, you know, it's very British, and it's very prestige, and that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm really into it. It's my go-to thing at night when I go downstairs. I watched it uh, when it originally when it originally aired. Um, right. In season two, it's still Claire Foy as Elizabeth, and she's just terrific. She's oh yeah, really, really deserves all the acclaim that she got for that. all the the uh, performances in it. Is it Matt Smith, uh, mm-hmm. who you know was on Doctor Who, and it's a very different role for him. And you know yeah. he's done a lot of kind of like comedy stuff, but he's very, um, uh, you know, uh, pretty stoic in that. And so yeah, it's all all really good performance. I've been watching uh, this it's just kind of a random new show that's on Netflix called who is Aaron Carter. And um, it's this British woman who's living in Barcelona and she has a husband and a daughter and she's like a substitute teacher. And the opening of the film, she and her daughter are in a supermarket and these people come in to rob the supermarket and um, she kills one of the guys. And um, basically, then the police come and, uh, you know, uh, arrest the rest of them. And so everybody's sort of like, how did this woman manage to kill this, you know, just this teacher? And it's one of these things where I don't know if it's going to be an actual thing where she's some kind of a spy or something. But I watched two episodes and you still don't exactly know. But it's like people are starting to get suspicious of you know what her backstory is it's pretty good it's it's not amazing or anything but um okay it's, it's entertaining yeah um cool i mean I, I we can call i think we can make this a short episode i okay yeah that's no problem i gotta give the kids baths and stuff tonight I'm all right sounds good but yeah inherent vice for next time i think that'll be a fun i think that'll be a fun discussion Cool. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That is our handle. Like subscribe, leave us a comment. Thank you so much for listening to us and engaging. Um, and we'll definitely look into some original noir stuff too. Yeah. Maybe do some of those down the road. That would be, that would be fun. Cause I know like I've not seen a lot of, uh, you know, Bogart movies and, and that kind of thing. So, well, we could do, I mean, you know, like the Maltese Falcon or, I mean, you there's a number of, those Bogart movies sure. that could do that are just great. Yeah. 
Um, Sounds good. It's a night. So we'll, um, yeah, I, we both recommend LA Confidential. Yes. And um, uh, it's a little bit of a shorter episode today, but, you know, sometimes they are. And unless you have anything else you want to add? I think that's it. Then Chris and I will talk to you all next week. <laughs>